Kiwa mi gente, it's your girl Dalis Jasmine and welcome to Hella Latino. Before I get into today's episode and today's guest, I just want to give you all a big holiday hug. Uh, we are in the holiday season right now. It's going to be Christmas, Noche Buena, New Year's. You already know the vibes. I am so excited for all of y'all to get together, hopefully with your loved ones. But I just wanted to spread some of that holiday cheer. For today's guest, we have Ricardo Horna. He was born in Lima, Peru, raised in Tampa, Florida, and is currently based in Los Angeles. He has been at Google for about five years and is currently on the YouTube recruiting team charged with ensuring a diverse and representative workforce. Prior to Google, he received his master's in communication management from the University of Southern California, as well as served for Teach of America Corps member teaching middle school Spanish in inner city Baltimore for three years. In addition to his core role, Ricardo is passionate about education, entertainment, mindfulness, and also serving as an on-air and on-stage talent. Shout out to all of y'all for tuning in. I can't wait for y'all to enjoy this episode. Get started. Oni got your cafecito. Yeah, yep. It is just cafecito. Like, consider the mimosa and like, Ricardo, let's just wait one more day. <laughs> yeah, Tomorrow you can I'll... have all the mimosas you want. Exactly, exactly. So cafecito for now, I probably need it. I'm a little like tired, but I'm like, this is bringing my energy Ooh. back up. All right, well, let's start with the brindis then. A little yes. cafecito brindis. And Salud. we can like drink a little bit. Salud. <laughs> mm, I need it too for myself. <laughs> I love that. A little midday cafecito? Always. <laughs> I put a little too much, actually. I need to add a little cream to that because it's a little a little strong, but it's a good kit. Oh, my God. No, I started drinking my coffee black. And honestly, it's a game changer. Yeah, yeah. And so now I only, I feel a little bougie with it, but I, like, love buying my cafecito de calidad, like, my quality coffee, whether yeah. it's from Honduras, like I have my sister-in-law give me Honduran coffee or de cualquier, you know, like wherever it's from. I'm like, I need some quality coffee so it could just taste yeah. good black or else it's like it won't taste the same. And then I'll yeah, have and to add creamer and all that. <laughs> I'm with you. It's one of the best parts of adulting and growing up. It's like, I'll be the game with your cafecito. It's, it's a, a trademark oh. of growing up. So I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, leveling up in all ways. <laughs> I love it. But let's, oh, I'm so excited. First of all, before we get started, I just want to say thank you for being on here. Thank you for responding. I literally, I, when I went to the conference, Latinas in Tech, I didn't really know what to expect, right? I just went in, you know, totally open, but literally hearing from people like you, it was so inspiring and so amazing that there's people out there that are super vulnerable. And one of the things that you said that really hit home with me is that you were a storyteller. And I was mm. like, Mm, yes, like I can relate <laughs> to that. And also as a storyteller, I know that you live and breathe authenticity and also you're just open. You talked about your story so openly. So I'm like, I want you here and I want to talk mm -hmm. about your story on this platform. It's just so Could happy I that you said yes and that you're down. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, no, it's the comunidad, cafecito, chisme. Like these are all the things the that dog. I know. <laughs> Yeah, and it means a lot that you say that because that was a very special event for me. And I did it because it's what I love to do. But you yeah. return the favor and then some, by giving me this opportunity. It's a mm. privilege to be on your platform. So gracias a ti for, for this opportunity. Um, so. Gracias. Gracias. Well, we're both hyped. We're both juiced and hyped right now. I know, but I, I want to start. The energy is <laughs> yes. Like, okay. See, cafecito already helped. It is. It's kicking. <laughs> but let's start with the first question. And that's how do you identify and why? I love that question. And I think specifically when we're around any month that's around identity, like it's pride month, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. I like take a step back and I'm like, okay, I'm going to introduce myself in some talks. What am I going to say? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's nice to just identify in as many ways as possible because intersectionality is super important. And throughout the mm -hmm. past few years, I've realized if I don't highlight every element of who I am, people will understand the beauty of the nuance of identity. Because mm. it's so complicated. And mm -hmm. so, um, and not necessarily in any order of importance, but I am Latino and both Latino and a member of the Latinx community because I think it brings us together as a community. I am an immigrant, uh, Gen 1.5 specifically. So for those that don't know, that's that kind of gray area. It's either 0.5 yeah. or 1.5, but 
you're not quite an immigrant and you're not quite first generation. I came to uh, the United States when I was about 11. We moved back and forth a lot, but I kind of have a little bit of the immigrant experience, even though my parents are immigrants, but I'm also acculturated enough that I feel a little first generation. So that's mm. a big part of my identity. I consider myself a member of the LGBTQ plus community and I like keeping that broad because I think exploring that spectrum, you know, there's spectrums in race and sexual orientation and gender expression. And I love the fluidity of that. I'm a proud Peruano. I'm also a Peruvian American because I'm blessed to be an American citizen, but my heart, my soul, my blood, and like, mm. I love my food and my people and my music. <laughs> Um, and I'm a, I'm a person of faith. I think that's very important. That's a journey that I'm currently going, but yeah, that's the main ones that I would focus on. Yes. Oh my God. First of all, let me just say, I love that you highlighted the intersectionalities of your identity because that's a very important piece. And honestly, I don't think it's happened on my show yet. And so you're the first to really talk about these different elements of your identity and it's beautiful. So thank, thank you for you. sharing all that. And I have to say Peruvian food is like. There's Honduran food. I'm Honduran, so I love my Honduran food, but Peruvian food is like second. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah, the best. It's gonna, I mean, our people in general just kill it with food. We just do so well. And hey, you know, I, I, we gotta we gotta highlight it because we 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 do it well. It's a craft and it's an the art. Ceviche. So. Ceviche oh, yeah. is like ceviche. Oh, I melt. I love it. I melt. You gotta <laughs> talk afterwards because I want to hear some some of your favorite Honduran dishes. I love Central American food in general, so I want to get. Mm. Yes, yes. I always put people on Peruvian food. I'm like, you haven't tried Peruvian food? You got to try it. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> but no, I, I'm just, just so thankful that you're sharing those intersectionalities of your identity. Again, I just want to highlight how important that is. And like identity is a really, really complex topic. Mm. And every time I like ask this question, I've said it a couple of times on the show, but every time I ask it, not like no one has answered the same. Yeah. No one. And I've had about 40, 45 plus conversations, no one's, no one telling you nobody has answered the same. And that's beautiful to me. It's beautiful that we have so many of those identities in our culture and our, in our Latinidad, you know, in our community. So just want to highlight, thank you for sharing all that. But I want to talk about that 1.5 generation, that story. How does that feel like, you know, I've had that, I've had someone else say that on my show about that weird in between, like you're an immigrant, but not really because, you know, you're kind of a first generation, but it's just like weird dynamic, but kind of curious from the very beginning, do you remember much about that immigration story? Yeah, I, and I'll say very quickly, I love that was it the term that I heard a while back. And I think as we all, we grow up, we expose ourselves to different people and experiences and mm -hmm. they start learning things about identity that we didn't think. So in the yeah. past, I was always like, okay, yeah, in a box, right? I will never forget this one time I was with a friend's dad and he looked at me and he told me, you're white. I was like, what? He was like, you're a white person. And I was like, I, my 11 year old self, I was like, I don't think I'm white. And he said, well, are you black? And I said, no. And then he said, well, then you're white. And I think in that moment, I was just kind of shocked and I didn't really understand what he was saying, but in retrospect, mm -hmm. I realized that. Uh, this man, and I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that it was just, you know, ignorance, but he just saw it as black and white. It wasn't even a place for my brown self to have an identity wow. or a title. And so wow. when I heard that, I realized, wow, he is talking about this complete binary of race where I don't even fit in. And since that moment, I pushed myself to say, no, there's so much more in between. It's not just black and white. It's not just black and white and brown. And even to remove color from the, the equation, there's so many different nuances. And so mm -hmm. I think that was the first time when I realized, okay, identity is going to be very, very common. So same thing when people yeah. ask me, I'm an immigrant or first generation, I didn't feel like I fit either. You know, I, mm. a lot of my immigrant friends didn't speak English and they, all their friends were back in their home country. And I didn't have that experience because I learned English at a young age and I could navigate American culture pretty easily. And I was very lucky and privileged to do so. But mm -hmm. I also didn't really connect with my fourth generation Mexican American friends who had already been so entrenched in American culture that maybe they could connect as much when they went back to their country. Whereas when I went back to Peru, I'm like, hey, familia, musica, la música española, mm -hmm. una diferente. 
you know, they make fun of, of my accent a little bit because the Peruvian accent would leave and they're like, you sound a little Cuban and Puerto Rican and Mexican. And I'm like, that's, you know, <laughs> Latino diaspora. Una mezcla, una remezcla de todo. <laughs> and they couldn't quite pinpoint it. I'm like, well, I've been a lot of places. So yeah, it's, it's been a cool part of my identity. We moved back and forth about four times before I was 11 um, between Peru mm. and Florida. So back then it was hard and challenging, but I look back now and I'm like, what a blessing to, to have gone through those obstacles and it made me the person I am today, but I was also able to be truly bicultural and speak two languages and call two places home, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Did it take you a while to kind of like own those two sides of you or like when you were first, when you immigrated here, how old were you? So the first time I think I was like two years old, we left mm. Peru. For those that are familiar in the late eighties and early nineties, we had a uh, a lot of terrorism in Peru, Sendero Luminoso, The Shining Path, and it was just a very difficult time. And so we we came to the States. My family would get homesick, so we'd go back to Peru. And then something else yeah. would happen, whether it's political corruption or economic instability. And I love Peru. Like, it's, it's my heart, but, you know, we're, we're working on some things still. So we'd go back to the United States, and we'd get homesick again, so we'd go back to Peru. So we, we moved back and forth mm. a ton as a kid, but officially we were in the states i'd say um, around 2000 when i was 11. yeah and by that time you were already exposed uh, to both right and you were like navigating both at the same time did you speak english when you were in peru yeah i'm very lucky that i was able to be in the united states uh during a time frame where foreign la language acquisition is very uh easy to get and so you if you're like in kindergarten, a second grade, like those are critical years for you to develop foreign language competence. Mm -hmm. so I was in the United States. No one gave me a book that said, bienvenidos, here's English. They just <laughs> threw me in a class with 20 English speakers. And I was just like, uh, uh. so I had a, an ESL for a couple of years, but once you're thrown into something like that, that's the quickest way to learn. So by third grade, I was pretty fluent nice. in English. And I was speaking Spanish at home. So I kept that bilingual proficiency throughout my child. Oh my God, that's amazing. And I want to know about what it was like when you finally moved to the States and growing up, you said in Tampa, in Florida? Yeah, Tampa, Florida, which is actually where I am right <laughs> now because of the pandemic. I'm reconnecting with my childhood roots and family. Mm. But yeah, how is that, by the way, as an adult, I'm going to divert a little bit because I'm, <laughs> I'm doing the same right now, but I'm like curious to hear it from someone else. I'm like, yeah. how is that for you as an yeah, adult? So, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, my heart goes out to everyone who's still dealing with the pandemic. I know a lot of times and myself included, we tend to have a very U.S. centric view on the pandemic and see things are getting better. Um, we see folks are getting vaccinated. Things are opening up, but that's very much not the case around the world. And so. I acknowledge the yeah. privilege that we have to be in a better place, but there's other countries that are suffering right now. But if I look at the silver lining or one of the few silver linings of the pandemic is that we're kind of giving ourselves grace to do things that maybe wouldn't have been as socially acceptable in the past. Like, mm -hmm. oh, like you're wearing sweatpants to meetings and, you know, <laughs> you're you're not going to the gym as much. And one of those mm -hmm. things is, okay, you're in your 30s and you move back home with mom and dad. And so mm -hmm. it's been nice to say, you know what, first of all, societal stigma, like that doesn't matter to me as, as much as what makes sense for me and my family and what I know right. I'm doing is, is for myself. Um, but also it just, it makes sense, you know, to save money right now. I have the privilege to be at a company where I'm allowed to work from home. So why not take advantage of that and to, yeah. to spend time with family, reconnect with my roots. And I'm using this time to just kind of reset and it's like, let's save money. Let's meditate, let's reflect, let's mm. reconnect, and we'll get back at it once things start picking up a little bit more. So it's, overall, it's And good. it's crazy. And I wanted to, to ask you, because I'm kind of in that same boat. I was living in the Bay Area, and then when the pandemic hit, it was that 14 days, and we'll flatten the curve. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, well, it was really scary at that time. I really remember how scared I was. I mean, I think everyone, yeah. right, when the pandemic hit, it was just that, like, fear. And so I remember going to the store with my with my gloves and with the mask on. And I was like getting food because I was like gonna about to do a road trip to San Diego. That's where I was born and raised. Wow. So I'm like wow. gonna go get all this food. 
and nourish uh-huh. myself and also just bring my parents groceries because I didn't want them to go out. And so uh-huh. I came to San Diego and I've been with them the entire pandemic since. Uh-huh. And I moved out of my place and I'm like, this is a great time for me to learn about my family again as an adult. Right. And like see my life from a different lens and like appreciate it more. Right. Appreciate uh-huh. where I came from. And it's just been, like you said, the best silver lining for me on a personal level. I mean, this podcast came out of it and like so many things, so many beautiful things came out of that time and my time here. But, oh, my gosh, it's it's so accurate, though. Like there's moments where I'm like, am I am I going backwards because I just moved back home? <laughs> um, my, my parents wanted me to go, but at the same time, they want me to stay. So it's just so funny because I'm like, this is a great time. You know, we don't have to think about anything. And this one person, my last manager said it so perfectly. She's like, this is a great time. It's kind of mm-hmm. like God, you know, pre- yeah. press the reset button on us. Yeah. And it was just like, remember your values, basically. Yes. Like, remember where Ooh. you came from, remember your values. And like, it's a reset. It's kind of like what you were saying. Let's meditate. Let's like freaking just own again, our roots, own our values and remember why we're on this planet. <laughs> and then we'll continue life from there, you know, in a different lens. But I just wanted to highlight that part because I think it's important for everyone listening. It's okay. You're yeah, not back no, home. No, Embrace no, it. No. Enjoy it. Like, no, it's because Aladdin's is dropping some knowledge <laughs> for me now. And oh, that's beautiful. Like, thank you for, for sharing your personal journey during the pandemic. And it's awesome because it kind of forces us to live in the press. We all had plans, mm. right? I'm sure like, you were expecting to stay in San Francisco and I was expecting mm. to stay in LA. But sometimes I think we focus so much both on the future and the past, you know, harping on things that already happened or stressing about things we can't control that we forget to live in the present. And this pandemic Mm -hmm. in many ways causes us to say, "Uh uh-uh, like you can't think about what's going to happen three or five years from now. Like in this moment, what matters most? Your health, your family, your mental health, your your stability, Mm -hmm. finances. And so, like you said, whatever it is that you believe in, whether it's God or the universe, it's a way to just pause and say, okay, I gotta, I gotta restructure my foundation find out what's most important. So thank you. You, yeah. you just beautifully put what I think a lot of people were going through. They're like, <laughs> weird, like, am I that guy or that girl or that person? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. That's okay. Well, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your story, but I wanted to highlight that part for everyone listening and just for us too, because I know we're kind of going through that journey, you know, together, yeah. you in Florida, me in San Diego, but Yes. Talk about growing up in, in Tampa, Florida and what that experience is, was like for you growing up at like, what, 12? Officially yeah. at the stage, officially like, all right, this is it. This is home. Yeah, <laughs> How was that whole experience? If it's, it's funny. A lot of it is in retrospect, meaning when I was going through it, I'm very lucky that I think I had a great childhood. You know, as a kid, right. you know, let's tell the typical things that we all deal with as kids, whether you're an immigrant or not, you know, like what's wrong with my body? Do I fit in? I want to be popular. You know, what am mm-hmm. I going to do when I grow up? Why is my sister annoying me? But <laughs> looking back, I realized, and I, I have an older brother and a younger sister, mom, dad, and super, super. And but while I did have a really good childhood, I look back and I'm realizing how elements of my identity kind of, you know, caused some obstacles that I wasn't aware of back then. So one, one example, first of all, I remember when we first moved to the States permanently in 2000, we were at the airport and all I had in terms of my view of the U.S. were, it was the media, movies about the U.S. And you think about your quintessential American movie about high school, right? You've got the popular kids and you've got the bullies and people get thrown in lockers and then you've got the unpopular <laughs> kids, and the nerds. And so in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, which group am I going to fit in? I don't want to be the meat popular kids, but I also want to be the bottom of the food chain. And so mm. I remember in the airport with my brother and sister, we literally were like, what groups do we want to be part of so we fit? And so even wow. at that early age, I was struggling with my identity. How is my identity going to fit into this, you know, structure or hierarchy of like being a teen in the United States? And so mm-hmm. that, that made me realize, wow, that was hitting me way back then, you know? And then the other moment that uh, is a little harder to swallow now as an adult is, I remember I was hanging out with a group of friends who had nicknames for each other. Um, and this is where I'm just going to get real with y'all. Let me take a quick, a quick sip of the cafecito. So it's just mm. treat coming out. Mm. No, I mean, thank you. The space is safe. So I yeah, appreciate you being cre- honest and vulnerable. <laughs> that's it. No, you created this for me. So I, I had a friend who, who called me dirty Mexican. And 
I remember those words, hurty. And even back then, hurty would for, not for the wrong reasons, meaning I always knew that Mexico was a beautiful country. My parents loved Mexico. Most incredible. At that point, all I did was like the telenovelas and the music and they were great. I mean, are you kidding me? Some of the most incredible art and culture come from that country. But it was the mm-hmm. frustration that I wasn't Mexican and that you threw in the word dirty. Mm-hmm. But I only parked on that negative feeling for about five or 10 seconds. And then I said, wait, they've given me a nickname that means I fit in. And so at mm-hmm. least I accepted, let me take this with grace and say, hey, if I have to be the dirty Mexican to be a part of this group, then I'll be the dirty Mexican. And looking mm-hmm. back, I'm like, wow, I wish the other would have had just a little more, uh, I guess, a more solid foundation or confidence to say that's not who I am and not just pander to wanting to fit in. I know a lot of us still go through that as adults, but that's the moment that really stuck with me. And I'm like, without knowing it, I was adding to these stereotypes and to microaggressions and racism that are very young. It's tough. Yeah. Ooh. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I know that's like, like you said, it's a hard thing to swallow, right? As an adult, you're like, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> and I think it's it's part of that. We're just trying to fit in, you know, and uh-huh. I totally understand what it was like to grow up in, you know, in San Diego. It's a really dominant Mexican culture. Mm-hmm. And me being Hondureña, mm-hmm. not a lot of people knew who we were and what, mm-hmm. we, what we listened to and what we ate. And I, I don't know if you dealt with that, you know, being Peruano, but for mm-hmm. me, I was like, I just want to fit in. So I changed the way I talked a little bit in Spanish so I can, you know, talk a little more Mexican around my friends. And like, at the time, I didn't realize I was doing it so much. And now I looked back and I'm like, like you said, it's like, oh, I was definitely trying to like fit in and like talking a little differently and <laughs> doing all these little things a little differently. And it's just really interesting that a lot of us, we don't know what we're doing at the time. We're just kids. We're just trying to fit in trying to fit in and we're like, we're going to go with the majority and the majority that I was around was Mexican culture. So I was like, all right, <laughs> my Latinos are right here. So I have to just speak Spanish the way they do. I can't say boss, you know, I respect you. I'm like still trying to learn I, it. You know, so. I still do it sometimes. I'm, I'm doing it around my family, but I can't do it around like just anybody. It's weird. I'm like, I just need to own it. <laughs> but like, yeah. sometimes I'm like, ¿Qué onda vos? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I and think Peruanos also say wolves, right? Am I thinking a bit wrong? Yeah, every now yeah. so it, it's a little confusing for me because I actually was a Spanish teacher for three years. That's a little further down in my journey. And Ooh. I remember struggling with teaching traditional Spanish because, you know, Spanish is, is a beautiful language. And there's also different colloquialisms and terms that we use depending on the countries that you're I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, at least in my experience, we held Spain Spanish as like the gold standard, which... I understand in many ways, mm-hmm. like that that's where it might have originated, but that doesn't take away the value and worth of how it's evolved in other countries. Mm-hmm. Right. So, about- it's, it's beautiful. If anything, just yeah. again, it talk about intersectionality, like the way yeah. we speak is so beautiful. And it's one of my favorite things, is accents, like just hearing yeah. the different Latino accents is beautiful. Like Caribbean versus South America versus mm-hmm. Central America and even deeper, like, Mexican mm. and like different parts of Mexico and their dialects yep. versus, you know, different parts of like Brazil, you know, like mm-hmm. it's so beautiful to me. I'm like, look at all the things that coexist within Latinidad. Like that's beautiful. Yeah, no, no. And, and, it's, and for some weird reason, we try to water that down. We try to say, I don't know, that's wrong. That's incorrect. And it's like the mm-hmm. purpose of like just to communicate message, to evoke yeah. emotion, to inform. It doesn't have to be contained to one archaic structure that someone said this is the right way you know yeah yeah <laughs> so i had yeah. to push myself to tell my students this might be the structure you need to pass this ap exam but it's okay if you use this term or that term because at the end of the day i want language to be a tool for you and if you go to the way mm. around the corner and you say well so th- you know, you're like uh, that might work but i it, it the person at the shop doesn't speak Spanish, you're you're not going to be able to use Spanish as an yeah. effective tool. And so when, I, when yeah. my Spanish speakers would say their terms, in Honduras, we say this, in Costa Rica, we say that, I'm like, own it. Let's add it to this pile of words that we use because that's what makes our language mm. beautiful. It's, oh my God, you know? I would have loved to have you as a Spanish teacher. I got to be in Spanish 
And it's Spanish for Spanish speakers, which is lame. <laughs> but I got a B because I'm like, that's not what we say in Honduras. You know, I would always like in my mind be like that. I've never heard this. Like, I never heard this. And like, I remember, I mean, Spanish is a really hard language. Like when you yeah. really get down to the nitty gritty and like the preterito, like that was my worst enemy. Oh my like all God. of those. I just got goosebumps. My worst, my worst enemy. I just could not understand a preterito. But like, anyways, like. It's a hard language and you really get down to the granularity of it. And that's, I mean, just big props to you for being a Spanish teacher. But I remember my Spanish class, I literally, one, I was, I was never a bad student. But in that class, I think I was a little extra rebellious because it was my whole community. Like all my friends right. were up in there. So I'm like, oh, I want to talk to people, you know, and it was like mm -hmm. just a cool way to connect. But, and my teacher hated that. She's like, you got to stop talking. You got to stop talking. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> and the second thing is like this, what I was just telling you was like, I didn't understand a lot of those Spanish terms. I'm like, we don't use that. Like we don't, that's not what we use in everyday language. Like, why don't you teach us like slang, like different yeah. things. Like we can like connect with people over Spanish language, like the slang from the Caribbean again, or slang versus, you know, Mexican slang yep. versus Honduran slang. And like, all the, again, it's all the nuances that make us beautiful instead of trying to be like, this is what you're supposed to be learning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, shout out to you. Shout out Thank to you. We need you. more Spanish Thanks. teachers like that. I know you don't do it anymore, but. <laughs> oh, trust me. And every, anytime I connect with a friend over dinner or you go to a bar or whatever it is, and they want to practice their Spanish, I'm like, okay, don't want to eat that. Pisco sour. Pisco sour sounds so good. <laughs> and then the Spanish rolls out of their tongue. So I'm always yeah. down as an adult to teach for people's foreign language journeys. I think it's, you know, it's beautiful. And I was going to thank you a lot for bringing it to language because when I think about my identity growing up, I think language is also a big part of it, right? I... Mm -hmm. and blessed to know Spanish and I can talk to uh, a lot of members of the Latinx community in that language. But a lot of whippers that identify as Hispanic Latinx don't speak Spanish. And that doesn't make them any less, you know, like mm. the Latinx. Mm. And I do get excited when people say, I want to reconnect with my roots or it was never spoken in my house and I want it to be a part of my journey. And I support that. Like if you want to learn Spanish or any language, do it. But yeah, it's been nice to see us understand that even within our community, we've got only English speakers or Portuguese speakers or Spanglish speakers, and they are just as mm. much a part of the community as Spanish speakers are. So I like that you brought mm. it to language as well. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. And I literally before this had an another conversation with someone on the podcast and they said, they always felt like they didn't belong in the Latino community because they didn't speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine how many people feel that way. But he said, he's like, I felt so welcomed by the Latino community at the same time when he started to own his Latinidad. And I'm like, that's beautiful. And I love that you had a great experience with it. And I think that's the beautiful part about Latinidad and those who are Latinos and that own their identities and the intersectionalities of their identities is that we accept, you know, we're all about community. And mm -hmm. that might not be the case all around the world, but, you know, I think a lot of us value humans and human connection and storytelling and just like, again, comunidad, like that's who we are. I think like innate, like that's the generational richness that we have in our, in our DNA. And I think it's just yes. all about just being connected to one another through food, through yeah. language, through like love and affection, through whatever the case may be. <laughs> <laughs> we're just like comunidad's everything at least that's how i grew up and like a lot of people i know grew up the same way i love that and it's cool that it in the united states i mean your podcast is so good i hope they're sharing this all over the world like outside of the u.s <laughs> but within the context of the u.s we've got such a rich diversity of, of people and thought and perspective that you can find that here right like as a as a kid growing yeah. up i miss it all the time and i still do but when I'm able to go to neighborhoods where there's a strong Peruvian, Peruvian food, and then I see all these other uh, Latin American cultures popping up, it's just a nice little mix. And it's like, you can get this in the United States, a country that typically in my mind, I wouldn't think, oh, we're going to dance satisfied, we're going to this, and we're going to speak in Spanish. <laughs> I can see that happening, and it's really, really, so I'm very, very lucky to, to still feel connected with my Mm, and that's beautiful. And I, one quick question on that. How do yeah. you stay connected to that community? Is it going to, you know, like Peruvian restaurants? Is it being with your family? How do you stay connected to your roots and to what it means for you to be Peruano? 
Yeah. Well, I'm sure uh, maybe some of our, or the listeners have, have heard this, but I think we all kind of go through points where we're like, or at least I have, let me just speak from my own experience, where I'm just been one-on-one board, partially raised. When it came to the States, there were moments where I wanted to fit in, so I really tried to wash away that part of my, I will mm-hmm. never forget being in high school and think, okay, everyone's wearing Abercrombie Fitch and Hollister. Like, oh, I no. Pre- <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no, I just got a flashback. I said that and I just got to walk the, the strong smell when you walk yeah. into those doors. You know, you just, ooh, I just, I just smelled it right now. Oh, man. But, you know, I, I, I felt like, okay, in order to fit in, I have to wear these khakis down to my knees and these brown flip flops and I have to do my hair a certain way. And so there were periods where I didn't want to be connected to my culture because I felt that that would exclude me from larger groups, more dominant groups. But then, mm-hmm. you know, as we grow up, you start realizing, wait, that actually was kind of cool. Like that was neat. That was what, what makes me who I am and not like everyone else. And so I'm yeah. lucky enough to, to have parents that speak Spanish and are full big one else. I mean, they're also, you know, citizens, but they love their country so much. They did still that love within all three of us, me, my brothers and sisters. We're always speaking Spanish now. And we're very proud of our culture. We've also had the privilege to be able to travel back. I don't, not everyone has that. Um, y'all, yeah. YouTube is a great resource to like, you can't physically <laughs> travel. There are ways to reconnect with your country via videos, obviously like social networking, but we were able to go back. So I actually go back to Peru every year or every two years and have the day or two of a little discomfort where like, oh, y'all don't use that phrase anymore. Okay, that's cool. All right. <laughs> and then you kind of get used to it again. But yeah, I, I am able to go back to my country. I mean, want to talk to my parents. And then even within uh, any company that I'm a part of, I always join the Hispanic Latinx group. So, yeah, mm-hmm. just the first yeah. thing I do is like, okay, where are some people that get some of the nuances culture? So I can just be myself a little bit. Those are some of the ways that stay connected to to my roots. Yeah. And isn't it beautiful when you can really just be yourself and finding those spaces where it's just you're you're a hundred percent welcome in, yeah. in all that you are. <laughs> I love that. And it, it, it's yeah. a weight off your shoulder. Like I'm telling you, I'm in so many meetings, but just chatting with you, it's like oh, she gets it. You know, I say yeah. <laughs> say the things that people get. And then to yeah. your point earlier about your sectionality, it's whenever we do find those points where we're like, wait, we might not see eye to eye on this. That's okay. Because there are mm-hmm. intersections within the Hispanic Latinx community that I think need to be dug a little deeper, right? Like what does oh, the man. female identify population of the Latinx feel like? And maybe they don't resonate as much with with the other identities or the LGBTQ community or the beautiful upper Latino community. Like you can be mostly yourself, but then it's like, all right, we also need to think about how other identities might cause us to maybe not see eye to eye sometimes and let's work through mm-hmm. that. So that's been a, a mm-hmm. fun part of my job the past five or 10 years professionally is whenever I go into my community, I'm like, okay, even though we're all in community, we also have like many communities within here. Let's understand those so we can all truly be ourselves. So I don't have to hide my LGBTQ status in a Latino circle, or I don't have to hide my immigrant mm. status, you know, in a, in a dominantly white space or male space or cis space. So yeah, it gets very important. Yeah. Oh my God. And you brought up a really good point that I think needs to be highlighted and it's finding those spaces. And and we talked about it being like your hundred percent self and being a hundred percent welcome. But for you, did you, did you have instances where you had to hide that immigrant identity or you had to hide your, your LGBTQ identity in like certain either Latino, corporate, professional, whatever type of spaces. But have you had those moments where you had to kind of like repress those parts of you? Absolutely. Um, it's happened all, and unfortunately probably still creeps up every now and then. I'm making a concerted mm-hmm. act to be very intentional. So as an example, if I'm with a huge group of Latinos and they say, oh my God, we're on Latino, this is great. I'm like, absolutely. And we have so many things that call me. They're like, yeah, let's go play soccer. And I'm like, actually, like, oh. I'm just never the soccer <laughs> player. I mean, you don't want to catch me in the World Cup. I am screaming and yelling. I'm like, go, Peru. And we're not doing so hard right now. You got to look at the standings. So I love <laughs> That's soccer. what I say about Honduras. I was like, don't look at it. They're great. They're great. But like, don't look at their, yeah, <laughs> don't look at their stats. It's, it's more emotional, personal, but like statistically, yeah. we're probably not going to get too far. 
And so I love soccer as a part of my culture. I do. I love the games. Mm-hmm. I love the pride. I love the excitement. I think it's a beautiful sport. But growing up, I never played. My brother was a soccer player. I have bad knees, not coordinated. Um, <laughs> and when it comes to physical things, I love sports, but I love solo swimming, biking. I'm a runner. I'm a 5K tomorrow. So, you know, I, I like to stay active. Oh my active. gosh, good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'm excited. It'll be, it'll be fun. But that, that's what I grew up loving, you know? And so when people were like, oh, you don't play soccer, a lot of times there's a connotation, whether correct or not, that that somehow has something to do with your sexual orientation. And so then there's a little bit of a disconnect there, right? Where if a girl mm-hmm. likes to play soccer, what does that mean? If a guy doesn't play soccer, what does that mean? And mm-hmm. so I, I saw my identity kind of grappling. Like I had to grapple with that a little bit when I was in my Latino community. I think we need to be a little more considerate of the way we view books of other sexual orientations or even genders. Again, we, I mean, let's be honest, we have a beautiful, thriving Latinx community, but I've seen elements of sexism in our, right? And racism. Yeah. Machismo is a big thing that I think a lot of people our age are eliminating (laughs) slowly, but that's, I mean, that's a big part of one of, I think, the negative parts of Latinidad that yeah. a lot of people are working toward dismantling, but my mm. culture is there. <laughs> and it's big. And, yeah. and even though I would speak up for a lot of the identity, my identities that I felt were accepted in the Latino as an ally, I'm like, wait a second. I may not identify as a woman, but it is our responsibility as allies to educate ourselves, first and foremost, to know our space, check ourselves, and when we mm-hmm. need to speak up and when we actually just listen. And then to, to, to support, you know, like the communities that are disenfranchised or marginalized, speak up if we have the privilege to do so. So that, that's been tough. And it's funny, something that I don't talk about too often is within the LGBTQ plus community, one that I love and adore so much. I've seen elements of, of transphobia and sexism and racism, but I felt most uncomfortable talking about my person of faith. And so... Mm. It's hard for me to go into queer spaces and say, I believe in God. And it shouldn't be, you know, um, I understand and should be empathetic to the pain that for many in the community, organized religion has caused. And I will always validate okay. some feelings because I, I don't know what that's like, you know, but at the same right. time, I should still be proud of my identity while understanding where their pain is coming from because they're. So that's been another place where I was like, we're all the same. What are you doing this weekend? Brunch, what about you? We'll go to church. Oh, okay. <laughs> you mm. know? And so mm-hmm. in every community, it happens and it's a journey. But I, I think that's what makes us who we are. Grappling through those obstacles and nuances, that's what makes us strong. And how do you, how do you go through it? How do you kind of get over that hump of like, I think initially... I mean, I could just point to some moments in my life where it feels like, oh, all I want to do is just hide right now because maybe I don't play soccer. Maybe I don't, you know, this or this or that, where you don't fit into that stereotype or you don't fit into that like little box. How do you get through it? How do you own that part of your identity and without letting it really like affect you or make you want to repress it? Yeah. Well, I'm still in the process of learning how to do that. So if any of the listeners have any thoughts <laughs> that y'all want to share, and hopefully there's a platform for them to share their thoughts and comments. Yeah, and yeah. But something that has been helpful for me is even this past year, taking time to step back and just sit with my thoughts and mm. personally understand what my identity is. The first step is to really grapple with looking at yourself in the mirror and doing the kind of mm. dirty work of, Have I really thought about who I am? What am I about? Mm. What do I value? What are some elements of my identity that I consciously or subconsciously hid or pushed back and like really dig that out? Because the first step is to just be aware um, of who you are and how you might identify. I know for me, mental health has been a big part of that. As a kid, I didn't want to sit with my thoughts, so I didn't do it. I like kept myself busy. I talked to friends. I was a social butterfly. I'm Mm -hmm. sure a lot of things can relate. And so then when you're like, wow, I can really, I feel so seen with you, by the way, because that was literally me. I was like, <laughs> well, I think it's a, it's also a big thing in like Latino culture, at least how I grew up. I we didn't really talk about our feelings, like even women, yeah. right? Like we didn't really talk about like in my family, I, I'm mm. lucky to be around really strong, powerful women. But yes. for them, that meant don't share all the things that's going on in your life. Like we're strong. That's what it meant yeah. for them. Right. And so my mom 
now I think is like opening up about her story a lot more. But during my life, like she was that strong woman working three jobs, like hustling and cooking wow. and cleaning and this and that. And for me, it was like, well, I have to be that woman. I can't talk about how I'm feeling because being too vulnerable is a weakness, like even yeah. for women. And yeah. now I'm like, I, you know, I have whole platforms and I talk about vulnerability and I talk about my story in the most open way possible. But my whole life, I was like, I'm going to just be the social butterfly. I'm going to just talk to everybody. And everybody always opened up to me and I'd be like, oh, got you. And like, I would never share anything about my life. <laughs> uh, well, so I feel seen with you. I feel seen with you. <laughs> oh, I got you. No, I see you. Matt prompts to your mom. Good wheel. Like what? I'm, I'm, in general, I'm, I'm sure she's a phenomenal woman, but to embrace you with three She's amazing. Uh, she's amazing. And I, I yeah. love that. Shout out to all the moms out there, you know. Shout out to all the moms. moms. <laughs> <laughs> las mamis, las mamacitas, all of them. Las las other figures. Oh, oh man. So important. Yeah. But, and it's it's nice to say that, to see that they have a positive, for many of us, have had a positive influence, but then we also take it to the next level and we say, okay, how do I continue being strong and independent, but also add elements of vulnerability, realness, mm -hmm. and authenticity? To yeah. your point, it frustrates me so much when it's because of society and a lot of men that have made women feel that these three things make you weak, to be open, to be vulnerable, to be yes. honest. It's tough. We mm -hmm. have to disappear. We have to work towards it. And you're leading the charge in that space, which I think is so, so important. But, you Thank know, it's, you. it's not easy. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. No, it's so not. that would be my my biggest recommendation is just take time. It's hard. Mental health is stigmatized in our community as is. And so to be alone with your thoughts, to see a therapist and 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 to talk through those things that we were taught to not talk about or think about is the first step. Mm -hmm. And once you're confident, it's like, okay, I know what my identities are. That's when I feel more comfortable understanding intersectionality, understanding people who I don't identify with, using my voice to speak out and tell my story. So it's, mm. you got to start strong. Yeah. And what I'm hearing, it starts with self-love and self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. And self-love can be a way to be self-aware. And I think that's, that has been my journey. Like when I started to really love and discover who I am, what I value, what I love and what I stand for, that's when, that's when it was a game changer. That's when I was like, oh, I'm navigating the world different now <laughs> with a new lens, right? It's like, you, you feel this like unstoppable energy about yourself. It's like, now that I know who I am and what I what I bring to the table, like no one can stop me. Unstoppable. I love that. And y'all, self-love looks different for everyone. I know for some people it's like, vamos a hablar, hay que tomar un masaje, una mascarita. <laughs> like, yeah, that is absolutely self-love. That one. Yeah. Sometimes self-love is doing the hard thing, the difficult thing, the uncomfortable thing, because at the end of the day, that discomfort is growth. And that's Man. where to truly love yourself is to push yourself to be the best version of yourself. So self-love looks different for everyone, for sure. Man, self-love, let me tell you, still shows up <laughs> differently for me in my life. But I think when I went to your point, when I went through it, when it was the hard stuff, man, peeling back those layers, no one told me it was going to be that hard. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. no one told me I'm like I had to unlearn all the things and then I had to learn new things and then I had to peel back layers and layers that I have never really uncovered for myself before and it was just this whole this whole like inner healing process that I'm still going through you know I think it's yeah. a lifelong process but <laughs> when I when I went through it in, in like the midst of it I was like this shit is wild why did no one tell me it was going to be like this like <laughs> <laughs> like no one told me because you see self-love out there, right? And people talk about it. It's, it's the fluff stuff, right? It's like, oh, self-love is amazing and this and this and that. And that's what I thought it was going to be. I'm like, well, yeah, let me go see a life coach. Let me go see a therapist. I want to go go through this self-love journey. And I was like, y'all did not talk about these hard parts. I'm, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm like, this that's... is crazy. But no, it's, again, it's adding to that self-love, self-awareness. And now I navigate mm -hmm. the world a little differently, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think people who do the work that you do, like amplifying voices and creating platforms for people to see, hey, you're not alone. We're going through this. It won't be pretty, but it's a part of it. Oh, what you mm -hmm. just said, if you're still going through it. Like the goal is not to be like, right, I know who I am and who I've been. I, like, period. No, it is constantly learning and growing and being okay with that constant state of growth is, I think, the key. So. Oh, that's mm, huge. Be okay with that constant state of growth. That's real. That's real because we have 
<laughs> write it down. But it's we we evolve, right? Like we as humans evolve. And what I was one of the beautiful things that when you were talking about your identity, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so curious that at what point of his life did he add that part into his identity? Right. At one at what point that you're like, faith, yeah, I'm adding that to my identity. Or LGBTQ, when did you start owning that identity? I'm added to, you know, it's like we evolve and we start to pick up and acknowledge these parts of us as we go through life, right? As we go through these transitions, like, you know, I think about my friend who's now a mom. That's not how she identified identified before. Now she's like, I'm a mom, I'm a whole mom. (laughs) And so I just think life is, it's a constant state of change, as you said, and being okay with that, going through those motions and going through those transitions, a really beautiful thing. But going back to your story, I know we're, we've been talking forever and I love this conversation with you and I'm like, oh man, (laughs) there's so many more conversations that I want to have with you. But on that same topic of picking up these identities, I'm so curious how it was for you to, to embrace your LGBTQ identity in a Latino culture. Was it what people think of like, well, Latinos are not always like, you know, accepting of the LGBTQ community, or did you have a different experience? Would love to know about how that was for you. I mean, I would say the impetus for me really digging into my identity was leading into something that I loved. And so I had a lot of insecurities as a kid, you know, not just about sexual orientation, but like my identity as someone who I mean, I felt physically short and chubby and brown and poor, and I was an immigrant. And so mm. you have all, we all have that voice in our head. It just, it's all the negative things about, and that's what makes up your identity. And that's tough. And it took years for me to unpack that and going through struggles and challenges with not just going through, okay, what is my identity, but how do I change my identity to fit in? And so that's, that was tough. You know, and to have to check myself and say, wait, you don't have to change that. You just have to learn to love that. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until college, really, where, you know, I thought I wanted to be a vet. Go, go with me here. I'm going to kind of switch to like my major and what I wanted to do with my passion. Go for, but it. All come full go, circle. For it. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I was like, okay, like first year in college, I'm going to be a vet. So let me be a bio read. And so I was taking all these classes and, yo, I was flunky. Like my mom was like, hey, pasa. like, this is like, you're not doing so hot in college. And I'm like, I don't know why, like, I want to be a vet and I'm failing in all these courses. And I realized, uh, uh-huh, I don't love math, science, and I don't want to be a vet. I think I just like animals and it's like, you can just get a dog, you know, I don't want to be a vet just because I love animals. And so it, it took a moment to say. And that was one of the first moments where I'm like, stop, what do I want? And Mm -hmm. I had an opportunity to apply to be an orientation leader at my college. And that was the first time. I was an orientation leader too. You were too. Oh my God. We used to call each other ODs. Shout out to all my ODs. Yes, to to all the orientation leaders and RAs out there. Yo, student affairs. What a trip. It (laughs) It was a journey and I loved it. And the second I fell in love with being an orientation leader, um, I switched my major to, to communications and I realized that I wasn't hitting like a level of confidence than I wanted when I was speaking to people because I was kind of embarrassed or ashamed of myself. And that's when I realized if I want to be an effective communicator, if I want to connect with people authentically and genuinely, I have to A, know who I am and accept and embrace who I am. And so it was around that time where because it was tied with my career for better or for worse, I was like, I got to do this work. And I was very lucky to be a part of a very inclusive and progressive community at Florida State that continued to be pushed when I joined a Teach for America as a board member, where we focused a lot on diversity, inclusion, really talking about tough topics and subjects that our kids would face. And so we had to ask ourselves, who are we? And, you know, moving to California, I get more diverse thoughts and perspectives. So it wasn't until my later years that I started coming to terms with all the elements of my identity and then learning to love. I was, uh, I'm very lucky that I wasn't really bullied as a kid. I I don't know why. I I honestly do think a lot of it was just luck, but I also had a very accepting and loving family. They were the most incredible people in the world for me. They have never, ever made me feel like there's anything I could do or be that wouldn't cause them to love me. And so, how, mm. and I know that not everyone has that. And so I send my love to those that don't have an immediate family that supports them. You've got other people that you could choose as your family to support you and love you. You've got love from us here in 
in this conversation, but I was lucky to have my immediate family love me and support me. So with that, I'm like, all right, I got their love and I love myself. People aren't going to like me. That's cool. You know, like that's mm-hmm. not going to stop my vibe and my groove. I'm going to keep going by then this. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's still a journey. There's other elements of my identity right now. Like I told you, my faith is one that I'm kind of grappling with now. Like, my love for God, but also acknowledging, you know, my personal views on, on the church or in the ways that, you know, religion has caused a lot of people to feel not accepted. And, and for me, religion is supposed to be a beautiful tool that allows folks to grow spiritually. Like a gym is a tool mm. to grow physically or mm. school is a tool to mm. grow academically. The church should be a tool for you to grow spiritually in it that's not there, then let's do something about it. So yeah, it's still on a journey, mm-hmm. but with the LGBTQ status, I was just lucky to learn to love myself because of my parents and my career. Yeah. Mm. And I love that you went into just all the different identities that you identify with. Thank you. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I, I can't even tell, I feel so seen with you, not just like the little stuff like orientation and whatnot, but just like exploring that faith is like, I'm in such a that vibe with you right now because that's what I've been doing. I grew up in the church and I grew up really religious. And so for me, what I loved about it, though, was the spiritual aspect, you know, being in a space where there is, you know, there's something bigger out there and someone's looking out for you, you know, like, Dios, Diosito, you know, Diosito lindo, he's out there looking out for you. Yes, and there yes. was always that connection for me. I'm like, there's something deeper that I feel. And that's why I went on this whole spiritual journey and like, I'm still in it and I'm still exploring it. And it's learning that there's the world is just so much bigger than we can imagine. And like, mm-hmm. there's, there's purpose behind it. And I'm in that same boat with you. And so when you're talking about it, I'm like, Ooh, I'm in that wavelength with you. It's a yeah. way, it's a way for spiritual growth. It shouldn't be a, a, a tool for judgment, which I think yes. is what I experienced a lot. And a lot of yeah. people experience, right. But wow. Just that really love this conversation. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> you know, we, can, we can take so many different roads. That's what I we love can. about it. That's, you know, we can. We can. But I want to do, I want to have one more question. I want to ask yeah. one more question before we go into our, our cafecito and cheese, which we kind of already went through, but, <laughs> and then our closing, but talk about, say one thing, and I know this is going to be hard for you, so you can say a bunch of things, but one mm-hmm. thing that you love about Peruvian culture that you want to share with us. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, uh, I would have a different answer if you asked me six months ago or a couple of years ago, but right now I'll say resilience just because mm-hmm. my country's going through a lot, right? And I know a lot of people can relate because there's a lot of countries that are going through a lot. But Peru is such a resilient country. We are going through a very intense time right now politically. We have an election this Sunday. I'm not, I don't want to get into the nuances. I do encourage folks to look it up. It's important for us to be global citizens. So whether it's your country or not, be kept abreast of what's going on in the world. But Peru is going through some tough times. Obviously, uh, COVID-19 has affected the country a lot and a, a lot of issues. But despite that, there is so much beauty in people, music, food, the richness of our minerals, the richness mm. of our resources. The biodiversity is incredible. The fact that from coast to mountains to desert to rainforest you've just got such a variety of flora and languages and so while i do love the richness of the culture i think we're just very resilient right mm, thank you for that answer it's so beautiful well let's go into our cafecito and cheese and real quick i know we're running out of time but real quick i'd love to know the story of how you got to your career now you kind of walk yeah. us through the majors and orientation and kind of going into Teach for America, but how did you land it where you are now, which is YouTube? Yeah. Oh, I got you. And this is great. I feel like the first 80% of this conversation, we took all the back roads and it was beautiful. Yeah. We took the scenic <laughs> but I'm going to give you the highway version right now. We're going to go with the yes. highway, my trajectory. So, um, yeah, moved back and forth between Peru and the States. I studied communications at Florida State, made the switch from biomedical communications, changed my life. Did you get a dog? Yeah. I have a dog right now. It's Milo. He's one year old. Milo, that's my nephew's name. Yes. And for, and for all of you that um, drank the the chocolate powder, Milo, that's where it comes from. So it's very popular. But when I know a lot of other countries, it's like chocolate milk powder that you put in your, in your milk. At least that's what we drank when we grew up. So um, <laughs> he's great. You can check him out if you follow me. So which you know, hopefully we'll be able to share later on. But 
after graduating from Florida State, I joined Teach for America. I taught Spanish for three years at Baltimore. Hardest thing I've ever done. Most rewarding thing I've ever done. Shout out to all the educators out there. It is hard work and it needs to be elevated more. And then shortly after being in the classroom, I wanted to be a student myself. So I moved to LA. I went to USC, fight on. I studied uh, communication management, got my master's there. And then I was like in hustle mode. So I was like part-time recruiting for Teach for America, part-time academic advisor. I was president of the grad student. I'm not showing up. I truly was a hot mess. Um, not really <laughs> sure what I wanted to do. And then somehow got into like entertainment. So I did some red carpet events and boarding. I bring that up because that truly really is my passion. Uh, but after my second year at USC, uh, Google actually reached out to me on LinkedIn. And I was like, yo, I'm not the wrong guy. Like I've been in education, nonprofit, entertainment, but I don't know how to use a laptop. Well, that is, can, can attest to this. I was having some technical difficulties earlier today. <laughs> so it's like, yo, wrong Ricardo. And they're like, no, you have transferable <laughs> skills and you can recruit for teachers. You can recruit engineers. And so I've been at Google for five years. I absolutely love the company and well. I think broadly the tech industry has a lot of work to do. I'm excited to take that on. And, you know, I, I ended recruiting. I, I do work around diversity and inclusion, uh, but my heart and my passion truly is communication. Uh, I have a dream of, of being on camera or on stage. I don't know in what capacity. There were a little Ryan Seacrest and Mario Lopez and Oprah and the East Coast, mix it all up and a little Sasson and that's my dream. And so my, my goal is to just be on camera or on stage and being able to use this craft of communication that I'm still developing to inspire, educate, inform, advocate, just really get folks to do something. So that that's my mm -hmm. passion. My my dream. Beautiful, beautiful. I love the little Mario Lopez, Oprah. <laughs> Thank you though. And that's beautiful journey. And I, I'm just so excited to keep watching you to keep seeing you flourish and, and all those things. And I can't wait for people to connect with you. And on that note, how can people connect with you and how can they follow your journey and be your friend, be your best friend, meet your dog. <laughs> yes, Y'all let's connect. I love connecting with people. Um, uh, LinkedIn is a great one um, professionally. Obviously, you can imagine I get a few, a few messages a day. And so apologies <laughs> if I don't get back to you, but I do like to connect at least. So Ricardo Orna at Google or Ricardo Orna at YouTube, because I'm specifically on YouTube, you can find me there. R-I-C-A-R-D-O-H-O-R-N-A. And that's actually also my Instagram handle. So it's Ricardo.Orna, H-O-R-N-A. You can add me there. I'd love to stay connected with folks. I'm all about building community and networking. Um, also like if there's anything I can do to support anyone in the job hunt once to get into tech, diversity, anything like that, or if y'all are looking for a host, an MC, an interviewer, anything like that, I got <laughs> to as well. So make it a, a beautiful, mutually beneficial relationship, but I'm excited to connect. Mm, I love it. And the last thing we do on the show is a little brindis with our cafecito. Brindis con cafecito. Yes. Um, and what I like to do here is end with a virtual cheers and have give you the space and and you know just the space right now to manifest some good for our Latino community, but also just give you a chance to say what we're going to cheers to. So, what do you want to mm -hmm. cheers to, and what do you want to manifest? I'm going to do two things, if if you don't mind. I'll make them quick. Go for First, it. cheers for for the heart of the world, and and what I mean by that is. Every single person that's going through a struggle uh, that is valid in and of itself. I think we tend to compare our pain and our struggle so much, and that causes us to think it's us versus them. When at the end, there's so much that connects us. So I think that if we can rally around the fact that we all struggle, we all hurt, we all have pain, but that we're all interconnected, it just makes us a lot stronger. So I think having that connectivity in the world, especially right now, in these tough times is extremely important. So just for the healing of the heart of the world. I mean, then honestly, just because it's timely and it's important to, to you, Oladis, and to this podcast and to everyone who's doing the work to educate and inspire people, to amplify voices, to do what they love. And you're so good at this. And so mm -hmm. to you and the future and success of this podcast, I'm excited to 
interview you or you interview me again in five or 10 years on the big screen because we're going to yeah. make it, baby. We're doing this. We're going to be here. <laughs> Salute to that. Salute. Let's manifest it. <laughs> Salute. Cheers. And just thank you. Thank you for being open, for being vulnerable, for being on here, and just for bringing all your heart, your energy, and your authenticity. Thank y'all so much for tuning in today and shout out to Ricardo for his story and his vulnerability. If you can't get enough of him and his stories, follow him at Ricardo Horna on Instagram and connect with him on LinkedIn. See y'all next week for more Cafecito and Cheesemen. For all Hello Latino updates, check out my new IG page at Hello Latino Podcast. You can also follow me on IG at ojasmine with four A's and find me on LinkedIn. Check out my website too, olalisjasmine.com for more information. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andureña.